very special weekend uh, as we remember those who have given their all for our freedom. And uh, I want to especially remember that today with this video that I'd like to share with us as we uh, take this time. Um, so we'll put that on right now. Extraordinary men and women went before us with unmatched resilience, enduring hardship when called upon to defend and liberate. They said yes. They found courage to rise with every sun, loyalty toward their country, discipline for every command, even in the darkest hours, they said, yes. They cherished and fought for freedom, so those coming behind them were assured of it. And when the moment came for them to give it all, their futures never to be written, they said, yes. Today, we think upon their sacrifice and find our way to honor them saying yes to making the most of what they gave us and filling the earth with God's goodness. We thank them for their yes. They will never be forgotten. My way here today, uh, I was enjoying the beauty of the surroundings and the peacefulness that I saw in the land. And it went all over me that I was enjoying something that many had paid dearly for. And uh, we do want to thank God for those that have said yes. How many of you here this morning, just by a raise of hands, had a family member that gave their lives in service? Wow. How many of you here this morning are veterans of the military? Would you stand up? Active service. <laughs> All right, come on, stand up too. Thank you. Stand up, Rick. We have some in active service. You're active service too. I, I, I would never get that right. Okay. Would you remain standing? I want to pray. Uh, and these that have served, thank you. And may they represent also those who have given their lives. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful uh, to you most of all for your love for us. And I think Jesus of your words, it says, uh, greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their life for a friend. And Lord, we're sobered and thoughtful today as we think about those who have done such for our freedom. Pray for families that uh, continue to deal with those losses, the Gold Star families, Lord, and we pray for your blessing upon them today. And thank you for these men here who are serving or have served and uh, their families as well. As the video said, Lord, may we never forget. May we always be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Thanks. I have uh, had the privilege over the last, well, almost a year now, to serve as a bugler for the Cumberland County Honor Guard. Uh, not being a veteran, it's kind of a major honor to be able to be included. And... Uh, have had a lot of great opportunities to uh, rub shoulders with the other Honor Guard 
vets and uh, also to remember those that have served. And um, just had a couple on Friday. Uh, we're going to be playing, actually, Bugle for the special Memorial Day service at Mount Zion Cemetery at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. So if you are looking for a uh, Memorial Day service to attend, it would be fun to have you there. Well, we're continuing our, our study in the book of Hebrews, uh, the letter to the Hebrews. And uh, last week we spent time in the first four verses. We'll actually pick up again in verse four this week. Uh, but looking at the fact, and, and as we remember, there were seven statements about Jesus, the significance of seven being the perfect number, and, and the relativity to the uh, people that were reading it, understanding the significance of seven. But seven statements about Jesus, the Son, being superior to all. And um, verse 4 in that, that section does say, This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. So let's take a look at, at the uh, verses that follow here in the rest of chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And this is uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, You are my Son, today I have become your Father. God also said, I will be his Father and he will be my Son. And when he brought his supreme Son into the world, God said, Let all of God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. But to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. He also says to the sun, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hand. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. And God never said to any of the angels, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. That last verse uh, is the key here to understanding angels and the relationship with Jesus, that they are certainly very separate. Jesus is greater than the angels, and the angels themselves, as it says there, are created beings serving as messengers of God to do what he asks. Servants of God, servants of Jesus. Jesus is not an angel, but he is the one with all authority. Um, Jesus was ministered to by angels when he was on earth. Uh, you remember in his temptation that we read about in Matthew chapter 4, at the end of the temptation we're told that the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. On the Mount of Olives, when Jesus was praying, and he prayed this prayer, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And right after that we read that an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He could have called, we know, on many angels to rescue him from death on the cross. 
Jesus said that in Matthew 26, verse 53. Don't you realize that I could ask my Father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. So as we read this portion of Hebrews, it's pointing to Jesus not being an angel, but being God himself, greater than the angels. Now when this letter was written, just like even today, there were those who would have been confused in this area. There were those who were equating Jesus with angels. I, I, I did some extra, uh, extra credit reading, I guess you could say, this week. And one of the things that came up uh, as I was looking through different things related to angels and beliefs about that um, is that the Jehovah, Jehovah Witness cult uh, believes that Jesus was Michael the archangel, just had a different name. I never, I mean, I studied a lot about cults. I never read that, I and mean, I dig deeper. Interesting. Uh, and, and a lot of cult groups kind of get mixed up in this whole area. Everything's confused. Uh, it's not just with cults. I mean, I think our society at times gets all caught up in the angel idea that angels are God. <laughs> angels are like God. Uh, certainly, they're greater than us. <laughs> uh, they have abilities that are beyond what we're able to do. But they're still created beings. They're created to serve God. They're created to be his messengers. And of course, we have evidences throughout Scripture of angels appearing and doing God's word, even as we read about them with Jesus. But also, we're also told in this book of Hebrews a little bit later that we're to entertain strangers, we're to show hospitality because. You might even entertain an angel, it says. So, so we never know. We don't really know. We can't see beyond our environment. There's something going on spiritually that's beyond us. But they're still not the same as Jesus. Jesus is greater than the angels. You know, Paul warned about people worshiping uh, angels in Colossians 2.18. He says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying they have had vision of these things. So be careful. Certainly angels have an important role, but they're not to be worshipped. And the key point for us in this passage is that Jesus is far greater than the angels, as it said in verse 4. So the author, last week, as we looked at verses 1 to 4, points, gives four statements about the superiority of the Son. All right? This week, as we look at the rest of chapter 1, he gives seven citations from the Old Testament about Jesus being greater than the angels. Notice again the seven, the significance of that to the readers. They were very familiar with Messianic scriptures, this Jewish population of Christians in Rome. And so the author points to these passages that would have been very familiar as ones that point to the Messiah. They might not be that familiar sometimes to us as pointing to the Messiah, but from the Jewish population and knowing the Old Testament, they would have been familiar that these were verses that had a messianic uh, prophecy involved. Uh, the first one we read is here in verse 5, for God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, you are my son, today I have become your father. This is from Psalm chapter 2, uh, verse 7. And as the author makes very clear here, God has never made any claim of sonship ever to any of the angels. Never. Okay? 
Now, it's true that you can find some passages in Scripture where angels are called sons of God. Matter of fact, you'll find it in the book of Job, okay? But, but not ever the Son of God. I mean, we are called sons of God as we come to know Jesus as our Savior. So messengers, those who belong to God, those who are a part of Him as His, his, his uh, plan for the world and coming into His family, that's a different relationship than Jesus being the Son of God. God clearly states that in the Godhead, there is Father and Son. Certainly we know there's Spirit as well, but here as we look at this passage, there's clearly Father and Son, and Jesus is God the Son. That's the point here in this verse. And then we have a parallel passage here, also given, where God also said, I will be his Father, and he will be my Son. That's from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. And this further qualifies this relationship of the Son to the Father as much superior to the relationship of angels as creating beings to God. Kind of easy for us to pick that up in these passages. So in both of these passages, we do see that close relationship in the Godhead. Jesus is one with God as the Son. So as God, the next cited passage we find in Deuteronomy 32, 43, points to the angels worshiping Jesus as God, Jesus the Son. We read that in verse 6. And when he brought his supreme Son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. Deuteronomy 32, 43. Now the New Testament writers apply this passage without hesitation to Jesus. Uh, we find that throughout the writing of the New Testament writers that the angels worship him. Now, I hadn't thought of it this way, but as I studied this week, I realized that uh, we see that not only in angels that are really those who are still messengers of God, but angels who are fallen. All right? Remember, the demons uh, and even Satan himself are fallen angels. And so, remember, as Jesus was ministering in this world, uh, as he was with us, uh, to come and serve us and to die on the cross for our sins. But we read of him in his ministry of evil spirits throwing those they possessed to the ground. And you know what they did? They declared that Jesus is the Son of God in his presence. You probably remember some of those. Mark chapter 3, verse 11 is one of those. And, um, and we find Jesus at times saying, stop, <laughs> don't say it. But they couldn't help it. <laughs> they couldn't help it. I mean, they were made to worship the Son. They were made to worship God. Even in that, we see the evidence of the superiority of Jesus. We read of the angels worshiping the Son in Revelation many times. Revelation 5, 11 and following, we read this. I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That, that's quite a picture, isn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine what that must sound like? Someday we'll hear it. <laughs> Looking forward to it. We're in all of angels, but remember, Jesus is worshipped by them not the other way around. Jesus is Lord. And so we move on with the next passage here cited by this author, 
saying, regarding the angels, he says, verse 7, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. This is a quote from Psalm 104, verse 4, and um, clearly pointing to the angels as being servants of God, sent by God. And as we read in the context of this passage here in Hebrews, obviously serving God the Son. Now, the author of Hebrews is using the Septuagint for these passages. Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, okay? And so, the writing here um, points out the Greek word here, as well as the Hebrew word for messenger, is also the word for angel, okay? And so, very clear to the readers that he's pointing to the messengers being the angels, and that they are serving God. The emphasis that they're servants of God and servants of God the Son, another clarification that Jesus is far greater than the angels. Continuing to emphasize that, pointing it, pushing it. Here we go. And then in verse 8, we read, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. And on into verse 9 as well. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Now here's where it really gets deeper. Uh, Here we have God calling Jesus the Son of God. Very clear. (laughs) There's no uncertainty here. That Jesus is part of the Godhead. He is greater than the, he's the creator of the angels (laughs) as God the Son. And so God points to the Son, calling him God, and references him acting as God. In this passage from Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. He speaks of him having an eternal throne, ruling with justice, loving justice, and hating evil. And and such a great phrase here, being anointed with the oil of joy more than anyone else. Where does our joy come from? Where does the richness of real joy that we so earnestly yearn for come from? From the Son. He has been anointed with the oil of joy greater than anyone else. There's a lot of people looking for joy. Um, Some of them are at the campground right now. (laughs) Some of them are at the beach. Not a bad place to be. I'm not saying they're evil places, but, you know, we we do tend to kind of look to things or experiences or events many times for our joy, but to find joy ourselves even at the end of them, feeling like we didn't fully get (laughs) what we were looking for. Uh, Yeah, that's because the ultimate of our joy is not found in anything here, not found in anything created, but in the Creator Himself. He's greater than all of creation. Jesus is the eternal God. And his identity is again affirmed in this next passage quoted that we find here in verse 10. He also says to the Son, 
And this, by the way, is from Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27, and we'll go on through um, verse 12. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. Again, here we have God speaking of the Son and calling Him Lord and pointing to Him as creator of the foundation of the earth and making the heavens with your hands. Boy, the author of Hebrews is making it so clear to these readers and to us as he took those seven points last week in verses 1 to 3 and now these seven citations from the Old Testament that Jesus is not only greater than the angels, he is the Lord God and thus is there greater than them. God declares the Son as eternal, remaining forever when all creation fades away. He is immutable, qualification of God, being always the same forever. But we're going to return to this truth when we get to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. It might be a verse that you've memorized, a great one, very familiar verse. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You want to trust in one who is stable in the midst of an unstable world? <laughs> you want to find that which you can really hang on to, get you through? You have, haven't you? Many of you. You still are right now. Many of you are holding on tight. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He is our hope. He is our stability. He is God. No angel is God. No angel can do that. The devil tried to be God and is condemned for eternity. But Jesus is God and to be worshipped even by the devil himself. The final passage that we have here comes from Psalm 110, verse 1. In verse 13, And God never said to any of the angels, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. The place of honor. We read about it in last week's verses that Jesus is at the right hand of God. The place of honor, the place of power. Sign of authority, of superiority above all. The hand of the majestic God in heaven. Also mentions here in this passage that all enemies will be humbled and made to bow to the Son. The phrase used here is that they will be made a footstool under his feet. <laughs> That's total victory, isn't it? Not just that they, uh, they got beat and they're still kind of hanging around. Jesus has complete authority over all enemies of his. We don't see that completed yet, do we? We're still wrestling with some of the enemies of God. The devil and his angels are still at work. I was just thinking about some friends this week who are facing some challenges, and I, I know they really love the Lord, and I'm thinking, now, now, now what's going on there? And I have to say in my mind that the devil's trying to kick up some things, you know? 
But I also know that they don't really have to feel like they're losing because Jesus is the victor and he'll get them through. Might not feel like it when we're going through it. <laughs> Sometimes we're ready to give up. Sometimes it's hard to keep going. That's why we have this word. That's why we have God's word. To remind us that he is victorious. He will have all of his enemies humbled under his feet like a footstool, like right there. Victory is coming and is promised and is assured. No angel has that position. Only Jesus. You know, Hebrews uh, is a book of encouragement in that it leads us to understanding and faith in the reality of Jesus being the Messiah, God's Son, and our personal Savior. We'll find that over and over in this book. This whole book points to Jesus. Really, the whole Bible points to Jesus. But Hebrews is very clear, wanting to make sure that we understand who He is, that He is God, that He is the Savior and Messiah, that He is the only one that we can place our hope for eternal salvation, that He has completed all of the requirements of God to be fulfilled for a relationship with Himself, and only Jesus could fulfill those. We can't. Anyone who's tried to keep all the commandments <laughs> has failed, right? And James says if you fail at one, you're guilty of them all. So, yeah. So, Hebrews will continue to encourage us as believers that our hope in Christ is true and secure. And that even if somebody's saying, well, there's some other thing over here, there's something over here, no, stay focused on Christ. He alone is our salvation. But Hebrews also is a book of warnings. Um, we'll find a lot of those throughout this book. Warnings in particular about not following Jesus. Warnings in particular of not being true in our hearts of a commitment to Christ. Warnings over and over about the danger of not believing him only as Savior. Even as we read this passage today, we have these seven citations from the Old Testament. I mean, the Old Testament, as the Jews in Rome were reading us as believers, I mean, it was so clear to them. Wow, seven, bam, 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 clear that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God himself. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than all. No doubt. No doubt. And so to them and to us, there is the encouragement that he is our hope. But there's also the warning that without him we're lost. That there's no in-between. There's no in-between. I trust today as you're here that you're encouraged. That you know Christ is your Savior. That, that, that he dwells in your heart by faith. Certainly it's nothing that we've done. It's not that we've convinced him that we're great and good and he should love us. 
Matter of fact, it's the opposite, isn't it? That we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. But we love Him because He first loved us. He gave Himself for us. He is the Son. He is the Lord. He, he didn't need to do all that He did. He, he could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't do any of that because He knew what we needed. And He loved us. That's right. I hope you know Him. I hope you're encouraged. But you know, it's also a warning if you're here today without Christ, you're walking a life that is very, very tragic, really. Because God has already paid for your sin. But you need to accept His gift for that to be real for you. Next Sunday, we're, uh, this is an announcement, by the way, in case you wonder where I'm going now. Sometimes it's good to clear things up, you know. Next Sunday, uh, we're going to have five people up here to be baptized. Of course, going down in the water is not what saves us. But they're going to declare that they have come to know Christ as their Savior and are doing so in obedience to Him by declaring it through baptism. What a beautiful example of what it really means to know the Lord. Because kind of hopelessly and helplessly, they will go down in the water. Whoosh, and they're hoping Pastor Glenn brings them back up. <laughs> yep. Another 50 bucks, I'll get you up there. Okay. <laughs> But you know, they're buried, as it says in the Scriptures, with Christ in his death. That's the illustration, right? And raised to new life in him. That's what Jesus does for us. And so I just want to challenge you all to think about maybe somebody that you know that you would like to hear clearly a testimony about knowing Christ. And maybe you can bring them along next week. How about that? I've already challenged those that are being baptized to do that. I always do. But maybe the rest of us, that would be a good time, right, to ask a friend to come to church. I think June 4th is a good day to come to church. Probably June 5th, too, and 6th. But think about it. Now, that'll make these folks getting baptized more nervous, right? Because all these people are going to be here. But they're going to be nervous anyway, so it's okay. We'll be praying for them and pray for those that you might invite. We're going to go now toward communion, and, uh, but I'd like to have a word of prayer before we do. And then Mandy's going to lead us in a, a song to lead us into that. Father, thank you for these, your words today, and the reminder of who Jesus is. Thank you that, uh, that there are angels created by you to be messengers and that you're at work all the time doing amazing things among us and around us. But Lord, uh, help us with this warning to not get distracted by what others might say is the supernatural and get all twisted around things that 
have nothing to do with Jesus. Make sure our focus, our lives are his. May we be like Paul says in Romans chapter 12, a living sacrifice acceptable to God. That you might be at work in us and through us to declare the truth of Christ. May that be a special time even next Sunday as we hear these testimonies and we again are reminded and refreshed in our own commitments and that we might bring somebody else that needs to hear that too. So guide us this week. Guide us now, Lord, as we head into this time, special reflection and remembrance of Jesus' death for us. Amen. Going to keep seated for this. Um, it's going to be a little reflection uh, time. I'm going to just go through a verse and a chorus of um, called your name, um, and through this time, just kind of reflect on the words. If you know them and you want to sing along, feel free to. Um, then Pastor Glenn's going to come up and do communion. Then we're going to sing it all together as a congregation. Um, but as I go through uh, the song, just kind of reflect on the words, reflect on the message this morning. As morning dawns and evening fades, you inspire songs of praise that rise from earth to touch your heart and Community uh, communion is a time for all who belong to Jesus. It has nothing to do with membership. If you know Christ as your Savior, this is a time for you to remember. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you could ask Him into your heart even right now. And as I lead us in a prayer, I'd encourage you to do so. If you do that, make sure you let us know so we can help you in your growth in Christ. But it's all about knowing Him. Communion is a time to remember that our life is found only in Jesus. As we take the elements and into our bodies and they become a part of us, as they bring nourishment and life into our bodies, it really is an illustration 
that what Jesus has done for us and our receiving him, that he is our life. He gives us true life, abundant life, eternal life. We read in the book of Luke in his uh, reflecting on what took place at the Last Supper, he says this, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we have here right now to remember and reflect on who Jesus is, what he has done, and what will come to be in the future, looking forward to his return. Father, I pray, even as we talked about just a moment ago, for anyone who might be here as we enter into this time of communion that they have not received Jesus into their hearts, that they would do so right now. Dear friend, if that's you, just call out to him, thanking him for being the one who died for you and asking him to save you promises that whoever comes to him, he will never cast away. So come to him today, Father. And all of us, Lord, we come before you. May we examine ourselves that truly we would be all about following Jesus. We confess, Lord, that many times we've gone our own way, done our own thing, not really followed as you would want. Thank you for your forgiveness as we confess and your cleansing that comes through us. So now, Lord, as we uh, take this bread and take this cup, Lord, uh, we pray your blessing upon it. We pray that you would uh, make it very real in our lives that we are yours, that you love us, and that we will serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Take the bread, or the wafer in the top there. We read that Jesus took it and broke it and blessed it and gave it to them. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let's take it and eat it in remembrance of him. And as we read that he took the cup, saying it's a new covenant. <laughs> Praise God for the new covenant. The old covenant said we had to kind of try to get there by keeping all the law, which we never could do. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the old covenant, presenting to us the new covenant as the blood that he shed for us, that pays for our sins, <laughs> that takes care of that need. And so as we take the cup, do it with thanksgiving for the forgiveness of your sins. Again, Lord Jesus, we thank you. How can we thank you enough? 
Let's sing our praise to him. Please stand with me. As morning dawns and evening fades, you inspire songs of praise that rise from earth to touch your heart and glorify your name. Lift it up this morning. Your a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nations sing it louder. There's nothing has the power to say, but your name. Jesus in Jesus in your name we pray come and fill our hearts today Lord give us strength to live for you and glorify your name your name your name is a strong and mighty tower your name is a shelter like no other your name let the nation sing it louder there's nothing has the power to say but your name your name is a strong and mighty tower your name is a shelter like no other your name let the nation sing it louder it's nothing has the power to say but your But your name. Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Not just here, but every day, wherever you are, for all he's done. God bless you. Have a great holiday, great week. See you next week with all of our friends getting wet, right? All right, great. <laughs>